I guess I'm so regular I don't get an introduction anymore. I guess it's a good thing. Nathan, you can be you can be seated, Nathan. You can be seated. Please, Nathan, be seated. Turn to First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Get with it here. I'm preaching from my iPad again. I got, I did it. It worked out pretty well with Sunday school. Hopefully, it works out well this time too. So, um, I, I, I feel like I say it every time, but um, I'm amazed at how the Lord takes messages and blends them together. It's incredible. <clears throat> I mean, I didn't know what Pastor was going to preach on. He didn't know what I was going to preach on. I mean, it's awesome. First Timothy chapter 6 says, we'll read the whole chapter to give a little bit of context. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced himself through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quicketh all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, into the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, 
but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be, be with thee. Amen. I want to talk about fighting the good fight. Fighting the good fight. Paul refers to fighting a good fight in this passage. And though some today would like you to believe that all fighting is bad, all fighting is negative, especially Christians. You know, if, you're, if you're talking to a professing Christian and you, you let them know that you carry a gun or you believe in self-defense, they're, they're, kind of, they're, they're kind of shocked by that. And you know, there's this thing that, that it's, you know, people are bashing called toxic masculinity. Uh, if men have any testosterone whatsoever, they're toxic. You know, If you train, if you shoot guns, if you like knives, if you, like, you, know, if you, you enjoy hand-to-hand combat, you like doing hard things, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're toxic. You know, it's, we're supposed to all be effeminate, you know, be soft and, and that. But no, there is a good fight in fact, every Christian is called to fight spiritually. And America is in a spiritual mess today because professing Christians have not been fighting. Christians who fight spiritually are seen as legalistic, unloving, proud, neglecting grace. Where's the grace is what they say. Or better yet, independent Baptists. That's a, you tell somebody you're an independent Baptist and they're, oh, you're one of those people. But sadly, a lot of Baptists are refusing to fight. And biblical pastoral leadership, like we heard this morning, is very rare. The cost of not fighting is what you see in America today. Christians, but particularly in this passage, pastors must fight. And Paul was reminding Timothy of this. Today I want to remind you with this passage to fight the good fight of faith with your pastor. This passage gives us clear instructions on how we are to fight, and specifically how the pastor is to fight. But we're commanded to follow our pastor. We're supposed to be fighting with him. And though these commands were given specifically to a pastor, we are commanded to follow our pastor. He is our shepherd, given to us by the Lord himself. Given to us by the Lord. He didn't set himself in the the position of the pastorate. And And that's one thing that I learned when Pastor Webb was pastor here. That his authority, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't care about you know, himself. And your pastor doesn't care about himself and, and whether or not he's right about something. He cares about what, what the Bible says and what it teaches. And we're to follow him as he tells us what it says, how he applies it. And we need to be fighting with him. We need to be following in his footsteps. 
before I go through the points, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that I have to open your wonderful word. And I thank you for how encouraging it is to us. And Lord, I'm thankful how your spirit works and, and just has that you are living, that you are abiding with us, and that you lead us. As we seek your face, you promise to. As we acknowledge you, you direct our steps. And Lord, I'm, I'm convinced that this is what you have for us to hear today. And Lord, I pray you help me to preach. Lord, not my opinion, not what I think, but what's written. And Lord, I, I love you. I love your church so much. I pray that you would receive glory in your church that you'd help me and help your people. May we be encouraged by this. In Christ's name, amen. So, we are to fight the good fight. And I don't know if somebody else has taken this outline. If they haven't, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. I, I'm, I don't usually do all that great light outlines, but point number one is to flee. Point number two is to follow. Point number three is to fight. And point number four is to finish. That's pretty good, isn't it? Isn't that pretty good? I thought that was pretty good. I usually don't spend a lot of time thinking and, and trying to come out with this perfect, beautiful outline. I just try to I spend more of my time studying and trying to explain the passage in the best way. But it really, this passage just gave those points to me pretty, pretty well, so I went with it. That's great. But we're going to see the first thing that we must do is we must flee. There are things that we need to flee in this fight. And specifically, the pastor is commanded to flee. Verse 11 says, But thou, O man of God, speaking of riches, speaking of those that that love money and that, that are determined to be rich, says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, and meekness. The snare of money is a tool of Satan himself. And this nation is full of pastors who are preaching for money. I know some personally. The only reason they're pastoring, or why they're not pastoring now, is because of money. In contrast with men who are determined to be rich, the man of God is commanded to run away from such desires. He, does not, he is not to pastor to make money. And I praise the Lord, our pastor doesn't pastor to make money. If he pastored to make money, there's things that he could do to make his job much easier. And he could also make a lot more money. He can preach with enticing words. He cannot preach the whole counsel of God. But no, he's not in it for the money. He's in it to be obedient to God's word. The love of money has drowned many men and pierced them through with many sorrows, including a pastor named Judas. Judas was a pastor. We know that from the book of Acts. When they voted, it said, let let his bishopric let another man take. And that word bishop is a pastor. What did Judas do? He sold Jesus for a few shekels. And it didn't bring him any happiness. 
And as a Christian, your number one concern in life is to be engaged in battle following the leadership of your pastor. Our pastor's job could be done in much easier ways than the way he is pastoring. I've seen it done. Most pastors just preach. They, they preach and they get their paycheck. They don't pastor. They don't take the oversight and they don't shepherd. And you all, we are so blessed to have a pastor who shepherds. You should praise the Lord for your pastor. Somebody who cares about you. Somebody who loves you. Who's not in it for the money. But this love of money drowns men in sorrows. Turn to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. I heard Pastor Webb preach a message. Actually, I think it was Wednesday. I listened, I listened to it yesterday, and I, don't, I wasn't stealing his messages. But uh, he, he spoke on Lot and the differences between Lot and Abraham. It's, it's a wonderful message. But... Um, Anyway, speaking of Lot, I'm on Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And it doesn't say here in this passage that he was in Sodom. We know later on that he was in Sodom. And when the Lord sent angels to him to warn him, to get out, of the, get out of town because I'm going to destroy this place, he didn't want to leave. He was a very, very wealthy man. And wealth is not wrong. Abraham was a very wealthy man. But Abraham's life and Lot's life are two completely separate, completely different things. Both were saved men. But Abraham was known as the friend of God. Lot is known as somebody who vexed us his righteous soul. And we need to be careful not to allow this world to influence us to pursue money with all of our heart, making that our number one goal in life is to make more money, to get that next promotion, to put food on the table. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be for, for bad things. It could be, look, I got these bills to pay, and if I work on Sunday... That's going to help me out. If I work on Sunday, it'll help me get out of this debt. That's putting you and your needs first over God's needs. We're to be careful of that. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Here's an extensive warning. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, speaking to Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Well, that's not a very nice response. It doesn't sound like. And he said unto him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Riches has riches is, is warned about over and over and over again in the Bible, not because being rich is wrong, because it can be so distracting. It can pull us away from, from following the Lord with all of our heart. It can cause us to set our affections on things of this earth, not on things that are above. You know, a personal example, turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. Verse um, 7 says this, This should be our heart. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. His desire here was, Lord, don't give me lots of wealth because I'm, 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 my concern is if you give me all of this wealth is that, that I'm going to turn from you and I'm not going to need you. But Lord, give me enough to where I, I can live and I can serve you and I can be happy. And I told Amber, before I ever got married, I told her that this was my prayer. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. And if she wasn't okay with that, then that was fine with me. No, we weren't, we weren't going to work out. And I knew <laughs> when I told her that, that she was okay with that, and that was her desire too. Because certainly... If it wasn't, baby, we're <laughs> if it wasn't your desire, you're a miserable person, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm joking, obviously. The Lord has blessed me tremendously. But that has been my prayer, and that should be our desire. Not that we don't, don't want to be rich. You know, money can be a good thing. And the more money you have means more money you can give to the Lord's church, give to missions. It means you have the ability for your children to get whatever education they want to get. It, it, it's freedom. Money gives much freedom if it's used correctly, but the Bible warns about it over and over. We must be careful with love of money. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Colossians 3, 2-3 says, Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what has first place in your life? Are you following after? Are you determined to be rich? Or are you determined to follow the Lord? Which leads me to my next point. The second way we are to fight, or so we're to flee, the second way we are to fight is we are to follow at verse 11, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. 
And a, a lot of these, as I go through some of these, they, they do overlap. And to be honest, I kind of, I want to be very careful not to try to distinguish too much because every word in the Bible is important. But some of these things do overlap. Righteousness. From what I, looking at the, the different ways these words are used in the Bible, righteousness has to do with keeping all of the commandments of God, being righteous towards him. And when we're saved, praise the Lord, he has made us righteous. We're no longer condemned. The law no longer condemns us. He sees as if we haven't, he sees us as if we've, we've, we've not sinned, that we've kept his law. But we don't always live like that. We're to follow after righteousness. We're to follow, to obey every commandment of God. This has to do with keeping every word of this book. Turn to Matthew 5, 7 through 20. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. <clears throat> Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot and one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments. Now, he's talking about every jot and tittle of the law. Every bit of this book that is preserved for us. You know, if God hasn't preserved every jot and tittle, how are we supposed to keep it? You can't. People that deny that we have the very words of God are denying Scripture. But God says for us, we're, we're to obey every jot and tittle. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees thought they were really righteous. They, I mean, they went above and beyond. They did things that, that were never commanded of them. He says... Except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Sounds to me like it's, it's important that we obey every bit of this book. Every little bit. And to follow our pastor, his desire, his commandment that he's given to by the Lord is to follow after righteousness and to teach it to you and I. And I'm thankful he's faithful in doing that. Turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. It says, um, this is interesting, but, but John, so this is Jesus. Jesus is coming to be baptized. Let's start in verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Suffer it be so, to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who knew no sin, said it's important for me to be baptized. 
to fulfill all righteousness. Well, if there was one person I could think that, well, that person, there's no reason, because baptism symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection, repentance, and all that. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? Well, he's setting for us an example. He's fulfilling all righteousness. And the pastor is to follow after righteousness. Godliness. He's to follow after godliness. This has to do with holiness or Christ likeness. Complete and total separation from all that is unclean in order to live like Christ. Turn to first back to our, at our text, first Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six in verse three through six. <clears throat> Paul told Timothy, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, and that word doctrine means teachings, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doubting about questions and strives and words, and it goes on. There is a doctrine that is according to godliness. And the majority of churches have just completely thrown that out. The doctrine that the only thing that matters to them is, is faith in Christ. No, there is a doctrine that is according to godliness. We're to live like Christ. We're to be holy. We're to follow after him. We're to be like him. We're to obey every jot and tittle of this book. And those and, and our pastor, his desire is to obey that, to do that. And we need to follow in that. When he teaches us, when he gives us doctrine, which is what we're teachings, we're to obey that. Because who, who, who determines doctrine in the church? Are we all just supposed to determine it for ourselves? No. We're given a pastor. He's commanded to feed us, to shepherd us, to tell to command and exhort. And I praise the Lord, our pastor is faithful. We have a gem in this world. I praise the Lord for our pastor. But Paul warned Timothy, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you live godly, if you try to obey every word of this book, you're going to suffer for it. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness. You know, there is a dress that is godly and a dress that is not godly. And by the way, who determines? Who determines that? Well, obviously, the Bible determines it. But who's to feed us the Bible? Our pastor. Are we supposed to let the world tell us what nakedness is? Are we supposed to let the world tell us what what a man should wear and what a woman should wear? Because the Bible says there's a distinction. Well, no, we're supposed. We should get our instruction from our pastor, the one who feeds us the one who's called to shepherd us. 
He's the one who's supposed to tell us how to live godly. Praise the Lord, he does that every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we meet. And when you need help and you call him, he'll help you. He'll help you to be godly. The other thing the man of God is commanded to follow is faith. This has to do with our belief and our trust in Christ that shapes who we are. We must grow in our understanding and our application of our faith. 2 Peter 1, 5-9 says, And beside this, giving all diligence, this is something we should be diligent about, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. We're to add to our faith, increase in our faith. And, and, and how we go about doing that is just believing what God said, just be- taking him for his word. When he says to obey those that have the oversight over you, and you don't fully understand that, you have faith. You exercise your faith and you follow. And boy, boy, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes exercising faith, Job struggled with exercising faith. He did it. But he certainly struggled with it. We need to grow in our faith. And the man of God is commanded to, to follow after faith, to follow after love. This has to do with Christian sacrificial love, agape love. First John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. And you know, sometimes it means telling people what they don't want to hear. You know, that man that came to Jesus and said, can you divide you know, the, the inheritance here? Jesus, Jesus said, that's not my job, <laughs> in a sense. That's not my job. Who made me a ruler or judge over you? And he, what did he do? He warned them about having a mindset of, oh, I care about riches, I want riches. It didn't seem too loving, but it was loving. And in fact, turn to Mark chapter, no, I'll just read it for you. Mark 10 verse 21 says, this is speaking of the rich man that came running up to Jesus, desiring, what must I do to be saved? This is how Jesus responded. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. He loved that rich man. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. What, what happened to that man? What did the rich man do? He went away sorrowful and very heavy. But I thought, why did Jesus have to give such a hard blow to him? Why did he have to make, make the gospel so difficult there? Why did he have to be so harsh? If he loved the guy, why did he have to be so harsh? Well, it's because he knew his heart. That's what that man needed to hear. And that rich man wasn't willing or able to give up his riches in the Father of the Lord. The Lord knew that. And, you know, when pastor... 
who has in the past rebuked me about things, when he rebukes you about things, it's loving. It's loving. Sometimes pastors have to tell their sheep things that they don't want to hear. Sometimes he has to pull briars off and, and help their wool and, and do things that are painful and difficult. But why does, he, why does a shepherd do that to his sheep? Because he loves them. The sheep don't like it. They don't understand. But the sheep, but the shepherd loves them. The pastor is to follow after love. And there were times when Jesus openly rebuked in front of multitudes of people, his own disciples. He told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter, think about how the Lord used Peter. Think about the responsibility the Lord gave Peter. He, he gave him the, the head role of pastor of his church. Did Jesus not love Peter because he said something harsh to him? No. He said something harsh to him because he loved him, because that's what Peter needed to hear. Pastors, to follow after love, we need to follow after love. Love, read the book of 1 John. As a church, we need to love one another, and sometimes we need to correct one another. Sometimes love is, is somebody's going through a difficult time and coming alongside them and helping them, bringing them meals, telling them, hey, I'm praying for you, I love you. Do you need anything? We must grow in our love. And we all, I, have work to do in that department. I don't love people like I should. I don't love you all like I should. I love you all much, <laughs> much, much. But I don't, I don't love you perfectly like I should. I've got work to do in that department, and so do you. We are to follow after love. And I'm thankful our pastor follows after love and loves us and shows us that he loves us by preaching to us things that we don't even necessarily want to hear at times. The pastor is to follow after patience. This has to do with endurance in the Christian faith. James 1, 2-4 says, My brother, encounter count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have our perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There's times when you just want to quit. And certainly as a pastor, I'm sure there's times where you just want to quit. Sometimes following is hard. But we're to, we're to endure. We're to practice patience. To obey anyway. To follow anyway. The pastor is to be to follow after meekness. This has to do with a bridled strength, with showing humility. And a good example of this, 2 Timothy 2, 24 verses, or 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 through 26, and says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. 
Now, sometimes pastors have the answers to things, and they have to show meekness to other people and to be patient with other people. Because sometimes other people are opposing them own, their own selves. And pastor wants to help, to help each and every one of us. And I'm thankful he's meek. That sometimes, I'm sure sometimes you just want to go to us and beat us over the head with this book. <laughs> I'm sure you've wanted to do that from, to me. But the pastor is to, to be meek. You know, sometimes if we see fault in our brother, we shouldn't go after him. <laughs> sometimes we just need to wait and let him grow. Sometimes we need to let pastor deal with that. We need to be meek. We need to be humble. And a pastor, a man that studies the Bible, that's his job, is to study the Bible and apply it to his life. Now, he knows a thing or two about this book. And, you know, I've studied the Bible. I haven't studied it nearly as much as he has. He understands how to apply things much better than I do. So, he has to show meekness towards me. He has to bring me along. He's to follow. The man of God is to follow after meekness. We must follow after meekness. But then thirdly, if we are going to fight in this battle, fight the good fight of faith, we're not only going to have to follow, we're going to have to fight. And not fight with the pastor. <laughs> fight alongside him. Fight for him, but not against him. Because we are commanded to pursue these things, we must fight with our pastor, not against him. None of these things come natural to us. Now, all the things that I just listed to you, none of those things come natural. When you know, when you know you're right about some truth and somebody else is wrong, you know what I want to do? Say, hey, look what the Bible says right here. Don't you get that? Don't you get that? Sometimes that's what I want to do. Just being honest with you. That's not, that attitude's not loving. Those things, following after righteousness, love, meekness, patience, all those things I just went through, they don't come naturally. Those are difficult things. That's why we have to fight. We have to fight our flesh. We're going to have to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are in a spiritual war, and we must spiritually fight the world and all of its influences. We must fight our flesh and its corrupting nature. We must fight the devil and his devices. And fighting can at times can be painful, it can be confusing, it can be tiring, it can be deadly. You know, whenever, if, if I go up in a fight with Nathan and I put on the gloves and, and go one-to-one with him, I'll just be honest with you, I don't stand a chance to get Nathan. Nathan can clobber me. And there's been times... When you're fighting somebody and you have somebody knock you, I've had Andrew just kick me right in the gut. It, it kinda, it's kind of incapacitating. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's, that's fine, no big problem. Sometimes you want to stop. Sometimes you want to go like this. But you know what's going to happen if you do this? You're going to get hit in the face. You're going to get kicked across the face. You're going to get thrown to the ground. Sometimes when you get hit, in the face, it's disorienting. You're like, 
what just happened? Sometimes it's painful. You know, sometimes, sometimes people die in fights. Does that mean we're, we're supposed to not fight? No, we're commanded to fight. We are in a spiritual war, and we must spiritually fight the world and all of its influences. We must fight our flesh. We must fight our nature. We must fight the devil. Most people would rather not fight at all, but Christians, we're commanded to fight. And if, if you don't recognize that we're in a war, if you're just going by and going through your life day after day and you don't recognize that, hey, we're in a war, you need to wake up. If you're a dad and you got little kids, you need to recognize that you're going to have to fight for those kids. And if you're a pastor, you need to recognize that you're going to have to fight for your sheep at times. It can be hard. It can be, there's sometimes I just wonder what am I, I have no, I wish, you know, I, I say that children don't come up with an instruction manual. They do, the book of Proverbs is a good one, but sometimes I'd like a little bit more, more detail on things. <laughs> there's sometimes I've just, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Lucas, I can talk about Lucas, he's not old enough to be offended by it. There's sometimes I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, Disciplining the boy, I'm disciplining the boy, disciplining the boy, disciplining the boy. Dis- and I'm like, he's not getting it. I, I, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> and, I, and I have to go, rather than becoming angry and getting in my flesh, which I would like to do at times. I know you probably never, I'm sure Nathan has never disciplined his child out of anger, I'm sure. Sadly, there's times when I've had to repent. but we're in a war and my nature doesn't want to train my kids the way that the Bible tells me to train them at times and not only that but the world's influences Satan's influences Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. I need to hurry. 2 Timothy chapter 3, or verses 1 through 5, tell us, This know also that in the last days, and we are in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incompetent, um, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power from thereof from such turn away. And that having a form of godliness is everywhere in America, especially in North Carolina and the South. Men have a form of godliness. They teach a repentance of faith and and salvation without repentance. 
They don't preach repentance. They teach that you can be a Christian and yet you can live however you like. You don't have to fight. God will save you. God will pay all your sins, but you don't have to fight in this war. There's no war. We, we just need to love everybody. We need to go take people food and give people shelter and just love them. Forget the gospel. Forget preaching repentance to them. That's the day in which we live. There is a form of godliness, and it's not even always that extreme. There's many forms of godliness. The world's music has influenced God's people. Music is not amoral. It's not neutral. And the only people who say that it is neutral is professing Christians that like CCM music. Those are the only people who say that. There are demonic rhythms. And if you as a parent, I'm, I'm learning, I need to be more vigilant. I need to be careful what I allow my kids to be influenced by. And we as a church, our pastor, he's commanded to be careful in what he allows played on the piano, what he allows sung. He is to fight, and, and if you know, if pastor comes to you and says, I don't like this song or whatnot, rejoice in that. Say, okay, th- thank you. I'm glad you pointed that out to me. Pastors to fight. And music is everywhere. And I'm talking, I'm not talking about just straight up. Rock. I'm talking about in our circles. There, there is a slide. There is a slide in music that is happening, and it is very deceiving. Very deceiving. And I'll be honest with you. I need to learn music better. I need to understand music theory better. Because a lot of times there's a lot more going on than what, than what you think you just hear. And I'm talking about good, what we would think, think as good songs in our circles. We must not be influenced by the world's music. We must not be influenced by the world's dress, as I've already pointed out. Now, you can't go to the grocery store without seeing nakedness. And I mean nakedness. It doesn't, you don't have to be completely naked to be, to be showing nakedness. It's hard to go on, on Twitter, go on, in, on the internet without seeing some form of nakedness. And we need to be careful that we, as a people, are not being influenced by the world's standards. The world has a standard, okay, well, even in Christianity, they'll say, okay, well, then let's put the standard here, and you know, hopefully that'll be okay, that'll be right. But ultimately, this book is what's to determine what nakedness is and what's not. We need to be careful. The world's rationalism, as we heard this morning, there is a science falsely so-called. And there's also this thing, a science called textual criticism. It says God hasn't preserved every word. And they have their fancy arguments. 
as to explain away why it's impossible. It's impossible that man was able to, to down through all the years, be able to make sure that there's no errors in, you know, in trans- writing more and more, writing manuscripts, copying the Bible. Well, you know what that does? You're trying to rationalize what God says. God said he, he promised to preserve and keep every word. When you say, well, man can't, you're completely throwing out the fact that God and his sovereignty has the power to use man to preserve his word. We've got to be careful. And this is influencing Christianity. And if, I'm thankful our pastor is standing against it and teaching against it. Because you know what? If he didn't do that, you know who else would be teaching? People on the internet. Just as he said, there's so many influences out there. We've got to be careful. We've got to wake up and realize that we are in a war. And too much is at stake in this war. Too much is at stake. The church of the living God, little children, my kids, the souls of men, we can't let these things slip. We must continue in the doctrine that we have been taught. And again, I go back to, who is to determine these standards and these things? Our pastor. The Bible ultimately, but our pastor. He is the one who's supposed to preach the word to us. I praise the Lord that he's taking a stand. And I am concerned, Nathan. I've had a concern I've talked much about with Amber. That what happens when pastors off the scene what happens when pastor webb's off the scene we need men that are going to take a stand and aren't going to let these things slip that aren't going to go the way of the world and be influenced by the world We need to put up fences. You know, Pastor Danford preached a message on standards about putting up fences. You know, the world is all about tearing down bridges. We need to, we need to, we need to build bridges. And, and you know, you know that's talked about in the Bible? It's called the one world government, the Church of Babylon. We don't need to tear down bridges. We need to put up fences. We've got to be careful. We must fight this world and its systems. We, might, we must fight our flesh. And our flesh says, well, that looks easier. That type of Christianity that, that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof, that looks much easier. I think I would be more comfortable there. It would be better for me to raise my kids in that atmosphere and whatnot. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do what's easier. Isn't that what our flesh wants to do? Does our flesh want to put up these fences? Does our flesh want to have standards? No. It doesn't want to do those things. It doesn't want to fight in in this spiritual war that we're in. We must mortify the deeds of the body. And that word mortify means to slay, to kill, to crucify. We must mortify our own selves. We must fight our flesh. So we must fight the world, we must fight the flesh, and we must fight the devil. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Now, 
I preached a message from this passage, and Andrew pointed something out to me that I didn't see before, but I clearly see it now because I'm learning Greek, and it really puts a whole new light on this passage. Luke chapter 22, uh, let's see, verse 31 And you don't have to know Greek. I guess I just wasn't, I didn't study enough. It says, verse, uh, Luke 21, verse 31 says, So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass. Um, oh, this is not it. Hold on, let me find it. Um, Luke 22, verses 31. No, this is not it. That's not good. I'll just tell you. When, 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 the, uh, when, um, Jesus told Peter that Satan hath required to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. That word you, he wasn't talking just about Peter. That word you is plural. And I looked at that and I told, I thought Andrew was kind of crazy there. I'm going to be honest with you, Andrew, when you first told me that. But, but it's plural. But he says that I have prayed for thee. He's talking about Peter specifically, that thy faith fail not. Satan desired to destroy, to sift the church. That whole church, that congregation. And if you don't think that Satan does not want to destroy our church, you need to wake up. If you think that things are just neutral and things are all kumbaya and Satan doesn't have plans to try to, to attack and destroy, you need to wake up. We've got to fight. We've got to be vigilant. Satan is seeking to destroy us. And he wants us to take down our fences. He wants us to take down our standards. He wants us to say, yea, hath God said. He wants us to say, well, do we really have to be that strict on music? Do we have to be that strict on dress? Do we have to be that strict on on our standards and, and whatnot? Satan loves that. He doesn't want fences. Why? Because fences protect. And so many good churches have torn down fences and they're tearing down fences. And they're not doing it all at once. They're doing it little by little by little by little. And I'll be honest with you. Look what West Coast Baptist College is producing. They are not, the students that they are producing are not where West Coast is. They're taking it the next step. They're taking it a little bit further. And by the way, that's a danger of colleges. Because that college... They're very deceptive. I've watched their music throughout the years. Put in a little bit here, put in a little bit there, take this away. Little by little, they chip away at their music standards. And I, I point West Coast out because I think they're one of the most obvious and most influential. They're so-called, Bap- they're so-called Baptist college. But his son... Um, I can't I can't remember his name. 
he has a full-blown contemporary church, and his father won't condemn him. What his actually his father supports him. The, the chapel, I think it's Doctor Doctor Chapel or whatever Doctor Chapel. He supports his son in his wickedness. No, you as a father, if my son <laughs> decides to start taking away biblical standards when he gets older, I don't care if he's a professing Christian or not. I'm going to rebuke him for it. I'm not going to say, oh, you're doing great, you're doing good. No, you're tearing down fences, you're tearing down walls, you're throwing out the doctrine that I've tried to teach you. I'm, I'm not going to support my kid and in, in taking away standards and throwing out the King James Bible and, and no. He's, he doesn't want to fight. It's easier not to fight. And that's the point I'm trying to get across to you. It's easier not to fight, but we must fight anyway. I want this church to finish strong. And when I say finish, I mean when the Lord comes back. I don't want this church to ever go away. And the only way this church is ever going to go away is if we stop. Excuse me, my last point, and I'm done, is finish. We must finish. Look at verses 13. 13 through verse 16. It says, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus and before Pontius Pilate witness, um, I'm sorry, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Christ is coming again, and I want this church to be here when he comes. Whether it's I'm gone off in the sand and my kids are here, I want this church to stand. I want to be one of the ones that finishes. I want our church to be one of the churches that finishes the race. That doesn't get influenced and get caught up in the world's systems. That doesn't get influenced by this form of godliness that that denies the power thereof. I want us to finish strong. And, you know, we all have past failures. Paul said, brethren, I count, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You know, Paul had a lot of regrets. He had a lot of regrets. But he says, I'm going to forget those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. Paul said that he was going to finish his race strong. And I say to us, we need to finish strong. We need to not let these things slip. And we need to support our pastor in this fight that we're in. It is a fight. It's a war. And so much is at stake. And Satan has much... He's cunning. We need to be careful... We need to support our pastor in this fight and fight with him, not against him. Pastor.